Welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books that experts say you're supposed to read before you die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of Harry Potter and historical fiction. And I am Chelsea, also a lover of Harry Potter and any book that's going to give me a good cry. Nice. Um, before we get into our book for this week, what else have you read lately, Chelsea? So we're actually recording this pretty close to the last episode. So I started and I have not finished Turtles All the Way Down, which we mentioned in the previous episode. And I would just like to say that this character, because we talked about how this character is about, this book is about a character with obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety and how Nicole just does not have those kind of thoughts. And so I'm reading it and... This character at her baseline is me on my very worst day, but I have had that level of anxiety oh. and obsessive thoughts. And so I actually find the book kind of triggering. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I read the first like three chapters of it and then I put it down a little bit and I was like, maybe not right now <laughs> because yeah. it was a little triggering. She's a little hypochondriacal. Um, and I, in my worst moments, am like that. And so it's interesting, though. I think it's going to be a really good read. I just not for today. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. It's in that book. It's also really interesting. Like she's on medication for her anxiety, but she doesn't take it regularly. Mm-hmm. And her therapist is always like, it only works if you take it and that there's nothing wrong with taking medication. It's like your body not producing insulin. You take it. Um, and so, yeah, so that part's really interesting, too, about her. But it's, yeah. it has to do with how like hyperchondriacal she is that. Like, yeah, she's always worried that she's sick and that what the gut fauna and her body are doing. Or in like the first three pages, she's worried about a cut on her finger because when she gets anxious, she pushes on her finger and that always makes a cut. And then she obsesses about what germs are getting in that cut. And I'm not even going to lie. I've been on that thought spiral. So it, it was really it's. It's very trick. Too close to home. Too close to home. It's real close See, to home. You're excited to read like it's an own voices novel because John Green really does have anxiety and OCD, but then it's it's doing too much. <laughs> it might be a little too much. We'll see. <laughs> um, the book I read most recently, besides our podcast book, was called The Cottingley Secret um, by Hazel Gaynor. I don't know if I'm cottingly i'm not sure i'm saying that right but so recently my mom was like on your podcast you always say you like historical fiction what historical fiction have you read lately and this is the one i read most recently and so it's set it's based on a true story that um towards the end of world war one in england these two cousins um young like teenagers um took these photographs that they had seen and found real fairies and people believe them there was like four Uh five photographs total and like and then it kind of, and then it kind of followed them even like into the 1920s as they grew up a little bit. That they got famous because of these photos, um, and that, and they always swore that they were real. And like Arthur Conan Doyle, like sent them a camera to take new photos because it was kind of like so many people had just lost loved ones in the war that people were desperate to believe in something. Uh-huh. And then it wasn't for like 40 years that one of the cousins said that they, it was a hoax. And so it's considered one of the like greatest hoaxes of all time. Interesting. But one cousin always swore that the fifth picture was real and it does look a lot different than the other ones. And so then this book is kind of like the made up story of like what was really going on in their heads about it. Huh. And it was really good. It was just, it was sort of, 
It was very ma- like magical and sweet and heartwarming. I enjoyed it. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, what we read this week for you all, our book was um, This Sea by John Banville, and it was published in 2005, and this author is from Ireland. And so it was a much more modern book than the ones we've been the reading most lately. The cur- most recent book that we've read on the list so far. Yeah, so only 12 years old. Uh, 13, it's 2018 now. Yeah. 13 years old. <laughs> um, and so before we get into this book and what kind of goes on in it, what was your one word description of this novel? Grief. Mainly because it's about, it, the whole book is about grief in one form or another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my one word description was melancholic because it's just very sad yeah it's it's kind of dark it's kind yeah of dark, it's know. sad it's a very it's dark and sad in a very different way than crime and punishment was dark so oh yeah completely different so our quick plot of this novel our one sentence way we would describe it is that max's wife died and he is revisiting the site of the first experiences of love and death that he had and he's trying to figure out a way to move forward with his life Um, So from this point forward, we're going to go more into the details of the plot. So consider this your spoiler alert. And uh, we we will talk about other things once we finish this section. So come back. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert. So. uh, And now our chat time is starting. Yeah. So let's first go over the in-depth kind of idea of this novel. Nicole, do you want to walk us through what happens in this book? Sure. So before the narrative of the book starts, Max's wife has died of cancer. And, um, and then, and he has like gone to the seaside town in, in Ireland or England where he, um, went every summer when he was a kid and then, he, and he's gone there intentionally because when he was a kid, he like, like the summer he was like 10 or 11, he made friends with these twins and, and, and there was a tragedy and that was like his first taste of tragedy and death in his young life. And now it's like year 50 years later he kind of feels called back to that place as if he's trying to figure out what really happened in that death in order to find a way to live with the fact that his wife is dead but the story you don't the story is kind of unfolding (coughs) excuse me at the same time that he's you don't get the the ending of the tragedy from his childhood until the end of the book um and but it's and then the prose is very like stream of consciousness and it's kind of maybe like he's keeping a journal and that's about what he's thinking during his stay in the seaside yeah, town. Yeah, and he's a novelist, and it almost at times feels like he's writing a novel about his life. He's a, he writes fiction, nonfiction. I know. Book. Oh, so I guess he's a nonfiction. He's an author. I should he's say, an not author, a novelist. Yeah. But it almost feels like he's writing the story of his life. Yes. Yeah, he's writing the story of his life with the like two key points being these like these the tragedy when he was a kid and his wife's death. Uh, and so, and then the and then it just kind of flows, and it's I think the book is less about the exact details of that than just about him. It's him trying desperately to process what it means to have someone you love die and, 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 and what it means to age and age and like how to like detach how like detached we are as human beings or how we have to do that to survive because there's so much grief in life. Um, it's very, it's definitely really sad. I read this book in about maybe like four sittings over just like two or three days and it, uh, and it made me sad to read it. <laughs> yeah. I, um, definitely think this novel is really, really sad. I would like to get it out of the way. You warned me. It doesn't have chapters. I just really like chapters. This book did have like big, like 
in the space of when it normally would be a chapter, it would just have a big a break. In I the text. know. So unlike some of the other ones who didn't have chapters, this was. Close I think to I just them. like the visual break. I just like the good stopping point. But I actually, um, because this novel was stream of consciousness, but was telling through alternate timelines, kind of what was happening with the story. So he was talking about where he was now and the year that his wife died mm-hmm. and that year, like 45, 50 years ago. Um, it did feel like it almost had chapters um, because of the way it was divided up. But I just had to get it out there that it didn't have chapters. And you <laughs> That's always going to be. And gonna I be. just, it's just my thing. Every time a book doesn't have chapters, it's going to have to be really good for to get you to like it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so what was one of the things you found most interesting about this book? Um... Well, I, I I like marked a few quotes. One is that a word that we learned in Hadrian the Seventh, flocculent, that we played in our game at the end, was in this book. <laughs> Just casually, there actually were a lot of words in this book I didn't know. Um, yeah, this was another um, wordy book. Yes, but I was really excited to see a word that I had learned in the podcast on here. So that's one thing. Um, and then uh, there was a section early on where he's thinking about how when he was a child, he had an image of what his life was going to be like and how maybe most people, like, they think, I'm going to be an astronaut. or I'm like, But that his image of life, even when he was a kid, was for a pretty bland, typical, unoutstanding uh-huh. life. Um, and, that, and that you, like, think that by the time you get to adulthood, all your questions will be answered and solved. And so, uh, and I just thought it was interesting how, like, sometimes we have these, like, weird... Uh, collections like this is what's my life when you're a kid that you think that are about very basic everyday life things uh-huh. and I do remember feeling like that I remember I remember thinking like when I'm an adult I'm gonna um like drink coffee every day like yeah. just like really like mild things but they're part of this like myth you're building for yourself as a, when you're a kid about what it's gonna be like when you're an adult this Did you have ethos it? of being an adult yeah um I don't know. I guess I didn't think about that when I was reading. I think that it is very interesting that he, all he ever wanted was really to just be a normal, well-centered, functioning adult. So that's... Yeah. And then about, but then about like 90 pages later, he talks about how, um, let's say, I'm going to see, I'm going to read the quote. Um, I have ever had the conviction, resistant to all rational considerations, that at some unspecified future moment, the continuous rehearsal, which is my life, with all its many misreadings, its slips and fluffs, will be done, and that the real drama for which I was ever, and with such earnestness, been preparing will at last begin. This is a, it is a common delusion, I know. Everyone entertains it. But I think that's so real that we're yeah. always kind of waiting for our lives to start, and then and like certain milestones are supposed to be that for you, but they're never really... Always waiting to feel like an adult, but you don't necessarily. Yeah. 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 So I, yeah. So I think that the, some of the philosophy in the book I found interesting and similar to when we read Reasons to Live, um, there was just some very quotable sections, yes, even if they weren't directly related some. to the storyline. Yeah. And kind of linked to Reasons to Live, there's a section where he's talking to his wife who's dying and she says, you're not even allowed to hate me a little anymore. She said, like you used to. She looked out at the trees a while and then turned back to me again and smiled and patted my hand. Don't look so worried, she said. I hated you too, a little. We are human beings after all. And I just, I thought that was really interesting because there's a a whole section that we talked about in um, Mm. Amy Hempel's book where one of the stories was about that idea that once someone is sick or ill or dying, 
they become this like not angelic, but this like it's a it's a thing that you can't you're not allowed to be mad at them. You're not allowed to hate them. You're not allowed to be upset about the things that used to upset you anymore because that's we feel like that should be petty or like mm-hmm. not okay. But in doing that, you're completely irrevocably changing the way you see and interact with that person. And I just think yeah. that that's so interesting. Like you're not allowed to hate me anymore. And I, I, I'm not allowed to hate you because I'm dying, but that's not really normal. That's not what that is. That's not what love is. So I think the thing I found most, I've read other books. There's lots of books like this that are kind of trying to, encapsulate what grief is and what it is to experience that and this one does a good a good job I think of showing how when we're grieving no matter how rational a person is by nature like that the way that you know in grief we like rely on metaphor and mystery and like vagueness you know and and that you it's about the story that you tell yourself you know not the um way things really happen like not the way things really happen but that you're trying to retell the story to yourself over and over until it becomes a version that you can live with because you have to uh and I just I really I really like that idea um that even the most like black and white person in their thinking like life is an absurdity forces you to be more holistic in your thinking yeah yeah I I think that this was an interesting look at grief. I a little bit sometimes felt like, and this sounds very like, oh, I'm, I'm so young, I don't have to think about this yet. Like, I felt like I didn't want to analyze this yet because yeah, it feels like something that I'm blessed enough to not have to have lost a spouse or a parent yet, mm-hmm. um, or a sibling. And so while I've certainly had loss in my life, um, I haven't had this kind of grief, this maddening, ever-present, gut-wrenching grief. And so maybe this book would mean more if I had. Yeah, I definitely felt like from the very beginning, I was like, oh, I think if we were like 30 years older and you had – you. When, when you're closer, like closer to an age where you could lead your spouse or was more of a reality, it, this book would be way more meaningful than I yeah. found it. It was kind of just like, oh, I should put this on my shelf and I should read it again in 40 years. Like yeah, this. no, no. And this, yeah. definitely this book was, one thing to be said for this book is it is beautifully written. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like beautifully luscious, like, I don't usually use that word to describe, but like everything is very... It's, me- ly- it's lyrical. It's lyrical and it it builds the scene of the novel. Like the words together feel, feel like muted and kind of slow and kind of melancholic in a way that builds the scene of the book really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that's really, really, really well done in this novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked that. Yes. Um, that was, this, this is the funny thing is that overall I'd be like, yeah, I like this book. It was fine. I don't, didn't hate it. It was, I enjoy, like enjoyed reading it. I wouldn't necessarily read it again. But then I started thinking about if we can really put this book on the list because uh-huh. this is, this book came out in 2005. It's the most current book that we've read so far. And I just don't know if we can know that if something that was published in 2005 is going to stand the test of time yet. It hasn't been enough time. Yeah. Um, Certainly when we read The Midnight Examiner that was published in 1989, we were like, 
we can already, this already feels like it doesn't stand yeah. the test of time. Why is it on this list? And the alias Grace was in the 90s. And we're like, oh, and we're like, oh, I think it will. Like, I, you know, but, but I don't, this one I'm not sure. This one I'm not sure. And, um, and I think that there's a lot of other books similar to this one when it comes to like, a picture of grief. This also was interesting because it is a modern novel, but it seemed to be placed without time within modern times, if that makes sense. Like, clearly it's a novel that's taking place after televisions and cars, so, like, since 1920. Mm-hmm. But in all reality, it could have been... Like, the present, and it could have been in the 70s. It could have been in the 80s. It could have been, yeah, yeah, it could have mm-hmm. been, like, the present could have been any time after ni- 1975. Yeah. And it would have worked. Um, And his past stories could have been any time after, like, 1925. And yeah. it would have worked. Yeah. And so I thought that that was interesting, too, that it had a time and a place, but it really didn't have a time. Right, because kind of, like, these feelings are universal. And so <laughs> that makes me think that maybe it would be... Yeah. Um, ...stand the test of time more, because... That is something that I think some of these novels that were saying stand the test of time without having to make like, oh, except for thinking about the race, except for thinking racism, except for thinking about the sexism. Those novels have been ones that have been in a time and a place, but without really a time and a place. Um, As weird as that sounds. And so I'm, I think it might, but I just don't think if that's enough. I don't know if that's enough for me. Right. So we'll have to talk about that. Yeah. You know, the the, re- the reason that I knew that this book would be better read by an older reader is because he has an adult daughter who must who seems like she's in her, like, early 20s in it, and she kind of comes in and out of the story, and he's talking about how they didn't tell her that her mom was sick because she was studying abroad, and then that, um, you know, she wanted him to, like, move in with her, and, and then that he's was really mad because she w- was studying art history, which is what he had kind of given up his studies on, and so he'd put all his hopes on her to be the one to fulfill that, and then she had given it up to teach, like, low-income kids um, beca- yeah. because of the encouragement of a man that was in her life, like, that later in the book they get engaged. But, she, but at first, in the end of the book, her dad has, like, scared him off by being yeah. really, really rude to him, and I was on the dot. I felt identified with the daughter that was more and you can always tell like if you're identifying with the kids or the parents who the book is really directed at you know because I thought the way he treated his his daughter how he she was he was sure she was going to be an old maid and that like um she was failing to live up to all his expectations and that he thought she was a failure like it's just like really harsh well and there's one point in the novel where she like looks at him and just says you know you're not the only one in pain right yeah and he's like taking out on her yeah. and I yeah I definitely identified with her character um even though she wasn't in it very much more than I identified in any way shape or form with him yeah also something I found interesting about this novel because it sometimes felt like it was the character Max in the, no- in the novel was writing a biography or autobiography about himself, essentially, is Mm -hmm. what it sometimes felt like. Um, There's a line in it that seems like it's making a nod, like being super meta, but I cannot for the life of me, like, I couldn't figure out what it was referencing. So it says, this he's talking about his first kiss with the the girl in the past named Chloe. Um, This one took place. No, was exchanged. No, was consummated. That is the word. In the corrugated iron picture house, which all along has been surreptitiously erecting itself for this very purpose out of the numerous sly references I have sprinkled through these pages. Oh, I get that one. I think he was just saying that he had referenced earlier in the book that 
that they were going to get together as a couple because but- they're, and and that and that like that's what it was slowly he was slowly referencing or whatever. But I hadn't been getting those references. Oh, I had. Oh, okay. I hadn't been picking up those references. Because at the beginning him. of the book, he talks about his like childhood infatuation with her, mo- his mother, her mother. Uh huh. Um, and then, then that, and you, like, I don't know. I felt that it was hinted at that he was actually it was going to transfer to her, the daughter. Oh, Chloe. I think at that point I still thought it was going to be that he was still infatuated with the mother. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I just hadn't caught it yet. Yeah. Yeah, there were some, re- like, in the last 10 pages of this book, there were some, like, reveals that I, like... Some humdingers. Yeah, that, so, I, we, I mean, we did our spoiler alerts, let's just say. So, you find out, so he's, like, friends with these two twins when he was a kid, and he, him and the girl are, like, kind of an item, and the boy twin is is mute. And, uh, and then, A, they, like, die, both of them, which you knew someone was going to die. I didn't think they would both die. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you And then you find out that the... Ma- they're made from back then is like his housekeeper where he's staying in the present which i didn't see that one coming yeah and that that housekeeper was in love with their mother yeah which that one i saw but like that one i saw that i expected but it was it was just like all that and like just a few pages at the end yeah no it started at uh page 175 and the book ends on page 190 yeah so yeah, I was and I was just like, oh, oh, whoa, and I was oh, and, and, and I was and I was kind of like, oh, did I did I miss the references to this? I don't I don't I don't know why this shocked me so much, but I I, was, I just I did not see it coming. Yeah, I yeah. Um, didn't see the twins dying. They essentially just like there was, was a really dramatic thing that happened. Um, there was a storm. The this like it was surging. They went. To, they kind of like knew that it was dangerous and went out in the water anyway. And then they drown. So it's hard to say if it was like they were just being stupid kids because they were 10 or uh-huh. they were really trying to kill themselves. It's really, yeah, it's unclear. Which, and I don't know why they'd want to kill themselves other than that, like they just found out maybe that their mom was a lesbian. <laughs> well, I, they just seemed like messed up kids though from the beginning. Yeah. Like it was like odd, like the whole novel, the Chloe girl is supposed to be like super like hot, cold, hot, cold, and like a really like. The way she's described, which is hard because it's an unreliable narrator situation because he's looking back. Right. So she's described as always having this glint of of something is wrong in her eyes. And so does the little boy um, yeah. who's mute. They always just like, there's like sly references to like having like unholy glints in their eyes or like an undercurrent of um dementedness kind of basically right. but you don't like but that's he's looking back knowing that they died so yeah and like, so it's really hard yeah. to judge what was that put in there because there were there was something and they were both really messed up and then this may have possibly been intentional or is this put in there because he's looking back having seen this terrible thing happen and that's how he's colored it yeah yeah so yeah which i feel like that's got he's got to be coloring it because it's he, he it's there's too many references like yeah. it's over the top well and yeah. he's um on the last couple of pages it says he he knows obviously you know now too that rose is the housekeeper that he's living with um and he's he's willing to ask her about all these other things about this family's lives but he can't ask her if she thinks they did it on purpose right and he never does and he, he never, never does he, never he just can't her. know yeah yeah, and it's kind of, I feel like that's part of, like, the myth he's created about his life, that, that he, like, was detached in that situation, even though he was literally there right when it happened, and yeah. he didn't do anything. And the fact that he didn't do anything, even though he was a kid himself, I think that kind of thing would follow you. Yeah. Right? And, and she, Rose, the housekeeper, 
didn't do anything either. And she was, I mean, she, she was an like adult. She was, she was young though. She was only like 15 or 16. Is I thought she was like 19. Oh, I thought she was younger. But she, I thought would she a 15 was like year old a, just be living with this other family in the 40s or 50s. Yeah. Oh, I don't know that. I mean, in the 30s. I don't know. I, I felt like she had to be at least 18 or 19. Hmm. Which I would Or at still. least 16, because that's when you can first get out of school in the UK is at 16. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was all vague. The book was vague. <laughs> well, and it does talk about how neither of them are strong swimmers multiple times throughout mm-hmm. the novel. Yeah. So you do kind of have that going in that might not have been why they, oh, that's why true. they didn't go in after them. That's true. Um. Yeah. Something else that I was going to say that I have now... Oh, something that I did really like about this book was the author did a... It's back to his prose a little bit, but he did a really good job painting mental images of the way people position their bodies when they're feeling things. So, like, he's explaining Hmm. in this scene when the wife first turns out that she has cancer and they go back to the house and she kind of just slumps her whole body forward on the table with her hands up, like, in, like, this beseeching pose. But she's not saying any. That's just, like, what her body has fallen into. And then at another point, he draws a really beautiful image of one of the boarders at the house he's staying at and how his whole body crumples in on itself when his kids don't show up to visit. Mm -hmm. And so he does. I thought that was interesting because he's a writer who writes about artists and art. And so... Um, the character is Max. It's not this author. Um, but Max in the book is a writer who writes about artists and art. And so then the novel describes the bodies and the way they form themselves when they're feeling things. It was really interesting. And like, there's some pretty like one or a few like explicit descriptions of like a woman accidentally flashing him. But like, even then her body positioning is described really like yeah effectively that there's a mental image a mental image i maybe didn't need but it's done well like yeah i didn't even i didn't even think about that when we're reading it but you're totally right yeah all i <laughs> all i could think about in the scene when they about when they like him and his wife came over from the doctor after the diagnosis was the beginning of up <laughs> oh <laughs> that's which is now my reference point for those sorts of scene uh, scenes but this is probably uh, equally as well done as as up as pixar um, <laughs> um, the other thing, so this book won the Man Booker Prize in 2005, which the uh, we read The Life and Times of Michael Kay also won the Man Booker Prize. And when we saw that's like written on the cover of our copies of the book and we were both like, uh oh, we didn't like yeah. Life and Times of Michael Kay. I wonder what this one will be like. So then I did some Googling. Uh-huh. And when this won, it was it narrowly beat out some other book that you would recognize the title of if I could think of it. And and it was considered a return for the award to a literary level because uh-huh. and because the many of the books who'd won most previously were considered too populist. They had oh. just won because they were like Oprah Book Club's books or whatever. But this was considered like a true like literary, high level high literary thing. Yeah. And I think maybe we should spend a second talking about like literary fiction because I think you and I have different opinions of literary fiction yeah um so I sometimes struggle with literary fiction well first let's say I I find this to be a very vague category yes I don't even know exactly how I would define it yeah so I'm gonna say (laughs) what what kinds of literary fiction I struggle with 
I struggle with literary fiction that feels pretentious for pretentious sake. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this one rode that line for me. Sometimes I felt like it was overly too much in a way where it was like, yeah, you're drawing all these beautiful pictures, but when you draw a whole book full of beautiful pictures, I don't like have enough time to enjoy each individual one because it's just image, yeah. image, 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 image. Um, and so this one, I would say I liked it. But it rode that line for me where it was almost too much for me, which is funny because they they awarded this because they thought it was a reward return to literary fiction. Um, and so I oftentimes find myself saying that I don't like literary fiction, but I don't think that's true. I think I don't like yeah, pretentious feeling literary fiction. Yeah, because I feel like when I think about that category, it's like any book that's not YA, that's not a fantasy, that's not sci-fi, that's not chiclet. Uh, it's not a mystery or crime thriller. Anything else. Anything else, which is so vague. Yeah. Uh, any other fiction. And um, and I think that I do like books. I like lots of books in that category. When I don't like them is that I don't like it if it's there's no plot. This book at least yes, had some that's plot, the other thing which was I don't like, like that yeah. saved its grace. But if it's just philosophy and images, I'm not interested. It has to have some story. We've talked about this before that like... Yeah. Yeah, it's nice to infer things out of the story, but there has to be a story. It just yeah. can't be only inferring things. Yeah, and I guess that's yeah. my other line with it too. Yeah. So, but I do think I read a lot of books in this cat in this category. But I, I the this kind of book that is, um, this I agree is like on the line for me because I, I don't think I would pick this up if it wasn't for the podcast no. because it, it's too, a little bit too serious for me, too heavy for me it's yeah and it's heavy in that way where there's there's no hope at the end there's no hope at the (laughs) end and there's there's no escape from the heaviness i i like books that make me cry that that's maybe the thing too i think when a literary fiction book is really i use the word i think i use the word pretentious to mean it feels inaccessible like real life people wouldn't experience this um or like that like it's a real life emotion, but they've like overwrought it. Mm. Um, and so I lost my train of thought, but it was. So, okay. so that's kind of, I feel like this book, I feel like is like that. It's a little bit overwrought, but that's kind of what I like about it because I feel like books that just make me cry, like, oh, there's a kid and the kid gets cancer and he dies or their sister, you know, like yeah. that, like, I don't like reading those kind of books. This kind of book that's more about like how we process grief as human beings and how it's a truly universal experience that I can find beautiful, even if it's sad. But I don't like just sad for the sake of sad. See, but I I guess I similar to like I learn more when there's a storyline. I guess if I'm feeling that feeling with the characters, I learn more. And in this novel, I didn't I mean I felt sad reading it, but I didn't feel his feelings with him because he was so removed from me. Mm, yeah. If that, that just makes could be sense. like an age thing. And it could be an age yeah. thing with this one. But um, that's something that I have a hard time with when it's like I'm watching the characters feel feelings, but I can't feel them with them. I can't access that. Um, I don't think I get as much from it. Yeah. So I didn't cry in this book. Me neither. Yeah. I would have, if I, I would have like, I feel like this book is like 40% plot, 60% feelings and like deeper meaning yeah. and I would have like turned it like reversed 60, that 40. and I w- would have been a better book yeah 
for me as me as a reader. But I think but this, this book is, is really likable. I think a lot of readers would really like it. It's just not exactly to our taste. Yeah. And it's, I mean, yeah. it's a middle of the road for this podcast. Like I, I had no issues reading this book. Yeah. 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 It, it was, it definitely beats out many, several of the and books I that we've like, read. I, I wouldn't say I loved it when I was reading, but I kind of enjoyed it. Like it wasn't, it yeah, wasn't it a felt, drudge to read. I didn't yeah. like dread picking it up. I mean, we read it really fast. So like, I didn't really have a choice. Yeah. Um, but it felt like meaningful. It, yeah. felt, it feels meaningful. Yeah, um, but it's just if the, if this book we thought this book was outstanding, we wouldn't have had to talk for ten minutes about how why we find it to be okay, yeah. you know. And so it, it's not like at that level for me. No, yeah, no. which I think that a really outstanding book, even if it was edited for maybe written for an old someone who was older than us, we would still think that it was outstanding, you know. Well, mm. and like we talked about crime and punishment last week. And even though neither of us really liked that book, we were able, like, we were able to come up with a lot of conversation about it, where I feel like it's a lot harder to come up with, like, meaty conversation about this yes, book, yeah. because it just didn't draw out that many feelings. Like, yes. yes, it's about grief. Yes, it's about how we rationalize that and how we live with it and how Ooh. we tell our stories. Yeah. Maybe it's like... Uh, in the book, the character writes nonfiction about artists. And I feel like this book is like looking at a portrait. You're seeing all the dark and the light of the grief, but you're, it's separate from you. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's intentional. <laughs> Maybe. It feels like a portrait. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. The portrait of the sea. The sea. By <laughs> yeah, by John Bainville. John Bainville. Like the portrait of Dorian Gray, which I've never read. So I have. That book's really good. <laughs> Dor- um, what's the guy who wrote that? Oh, crud. Who wrote... Or my Ernest that play too, Oscar Wilde. Yeah, there we go. I was like, <laughs> I, I, know, I, I know like his. Is. I like him. Um. Well, maybe we should just decide. Yeah. Um. Does this belong on the list? Remember, the things we're looking at are, uh, if it stands the test of time, mm-hmm. right? If it does something new that's foundational in a genre. Yep. Uh, if it if we feel like there's some, you walk away with a like a meaning that you can carry forward. Right. It's gonna stick with you. Um, I think those are the those are, those are kind those of are the, the general big, big three. Things, yeah. yeah. Um. So I wonder what you're gonna. I don't I know. know. I don't know what you're gonna I know. say. I re- yeah. This I this one I feel like was down to the wire. I'm not sure. Okay. Right. Ready. One, one, two, three. No. Oh, the same. Um. I, it's a no for me because I think it's too soon to say if people are gonna be reading this book in a hundred years. Um. And because I think there's I've read at least ten other books that make the same point in equally as nice ways, you know? And and so I don't think it's super original, even though it's lovely. Like, uh-huh. there's people I know that I would recommend this book to, but I don't think it's everyone needs to read it before it die. they die level. Did we put the reasons to live on the list? Um, I don't know. Let me look. I don't remember. But um, I'm saying that because... No. Similar to what Nicole just said, there's many things that many books are many things that make this point and better. Not the whole reasons to live book, but the one short story in that book that had that line about like, I can't hate you anymore. Um, was about someone who'd lost their husband in grief. And I oh, think yeah, the one with the like stuffed I uh, think animals. Yeah. That one mm. made the point in 10 pages that this one made in 196 and I actually feel like I connected with that short story more than I did with yes. this story uh-huh. um and so that leads me to believe that it's just it's not 
for me, it's not on the list if I can connect to a short story more than I can connect to this. Yes. Um, it's not that I didn't like it, though. I think this is one of the first books that I'm not putting yes. on the list that I like. I liked it. Yeah, that means that thus far I put on I put books on the list that I loved. I put books on the list that I didn't actually like. Yeah. And now I've taken what not put on the list that I liked. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. So, I mean... But because there's, there's a difference between like something being to your personal taste and being it worthwhile for all human beings to read. Yeah. And this, yeah. And see, I like, I wouldn't seek out another one of his books, but if someone recommended it to me, I would read it. You know, in the, like the last page of this is like descriptions of some of his other books. And some of them sound like they sound really weird and interesting and they're all super different from each other. And I do kind of want to read one of them. Like a couple of them looked like very, like more unique than this one. Yeah. So, so I mean... I might, if anything, we might read another book by him at some point and mm-hmm. have had a little bit more of an introduction. So I don't feel bad for having read this book, even though we put it on the list. It's no Midnight Examiner where it was a waste of our time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the only one where I feel like it's been a waste of our time. And maybe around the world in 80 days. <laughs> not Life as a Caravanserai? That would, I mean, I did not enjoy that, but I still feel proud for having read it because nobody we know is ever, is ever going to have read that book because it's uh, not readily available in English, easily accessible. And it's still the only book I've yeah. ever read from Turkey. And that's good that I've read a book from Turkey, even if it was, I could not understand 80% yeah. of it. <laughs> I also, I, since we're saying we're not putting it on the list, even though we do like it, I would recommend this book to someone who likes kind of the slow paced more thinking about how people process things books like this is a book that I could see myself recommending right or I recommend to someone who'd recently experienced a loss when you're trying to figure out how to live with that and because it's like then you need you need examples of people who are telling that story and yeah so I mean I John Bainville I'm sorry or Banville I'm sorry we didn't put it on the list you're still alive sir but I did like your book yeah and I really <laughs> truly probably will read another one of them and maybe so, that one I'll be I'll come back and be like this is his book that should be on the list <laughs> it's possible so yes. when we can come back I'll come back and I'll pitch it to you it's good. perfect <laughs> okay so that wraps up our discussion about the sea I thought for our next segment we could talk a little bit about our to be read list TBRs um, which I was thinking about this, like, how how do you keep track of a TBR list? Uh, okay. Where do you find the book books that you want to read? And then, like, do things languish on your TBR list? Or do you read them? Or, like, what happens? So, okay. how, first, how do you keep track of books that you want to read that you don't have yet? Um, I'm an obsessive compulsive user of Goodreads. So, I keep track of my lists on Goodreads. Um, my TBR list is out of control. Um, and so something I recently started doing because I realized my main TBR list was a beast is I have a sub bookshelf on Goodreads that is TBR 2018. So that's books that I fully intend on reading this year. Okay. And I limit that list to 25. Okay. Like, I'm not, unless I take a book off, no other book is going on that list. And it doesn't mean those are the only books I'm going to read. But like when I don't have an idea of what I want to read next, Mm -hmm. there's that list of 25 that I've said I want to read this year. Nice. How about you? You know, up until recently, I had no way that I did it. And because I would always just, whenever my list of holds of the library was getting short, I would like acquire we'll get into this some like recommendations and I just request all those books of the library and then very frequently I'd be I'd get like go to the library to pick up my holds and I'd have 14 books and which is always wonderful and terrible 
uh-huh. the same time. Uh, and and then I mean I could read like most of them, you know, like I I would and I would read them like based on how many people were in line, the ones that could be renewed or not and stuff. But uh, my our friend of the podcast Amanda, my roommate, recently pointed out like why don't you put them? The library has like a for later shelf. Uh, section that you can and so why use that and so I started doing that recently because what's happened is that now we, because of the podcast I'm thinking and talking about books so much more than before uh-huh. that I'm looking online at new books to read more often and then I'm requesting way more books in the library than I can read and there's been multiple books in the last like eight months that I've had to get out of the library like get them out and then return them without having read them get three separate times before oh, I read no. them um which is really annoying. And so now I've been using this for later shelf. If I see that there's no line, um, if it's has there's a long line, I just get in the line because it'll yeah. come eventually. But then the thing is, is that I'm still checking out large numbers oh, of books. I have such a problem. Because then with I, that. I, I still like move them over faster than I should, but I just want them. <laughs> I can't control it. Uh, so it's the system is still imperfect. Yeah. But I have such a fear of having nothing to read, which is ridiculous because A, I have books on my shelf that I own that I haven't read, and B, I have an iPad with a Kindle app on it and I could get a book at any time. I <laughs> and have, I still am afraid. I have a Kindle too and I still have that like I literally am staring. I mean, I have more than one bookshelf in my house. Like I'm staring at the bookshelf that I present in my living room, which should be the bookshelf where I've read almost all the books and there are Seven, eight, nine, twelve books on it that I have not read. <laughs> like this should um, not. This is not a rational fear. There's twelve books on that bookshelf. There's five on my bedside table right now. Like it's just. It's a. It's a thing. It's a problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where do you think? Where do you find books that you want to read? Again, I use Goodreads a lot. Um, mostly because I like to see the cover, read the synopsis. There's a really cool feature if you don't have a Goodreads. Um, I know Nicole doesn't use it, but I love it. I have one, though. I do use it sometimes. Um, That they will also, after you've read an author, you can, if you click on the new releases thing, they will show releases for the next six months of authors that you've read before. Oh, that's cool. So I do a, like... And it goes by month by month. So I check it every month to see if there's any releases by authors that I really like coming up. Um, I do that a lot. I also do it to track like series. And so like if I've read a series by an author, I'll put the first book in the next series on my TBR as like, a, oh, remember you like this author kind of thing. Um, yeah. And that's how my TBR became a beast of 500 books. Because uh, <laughs> it would be like, oh, yeah, I have to read the eight other books in the series and put them all. I uh, recently... This is embarrassing. I recently cleared all those out because it wasn't like 800. And I was like, no, you can only have the next book in the series on your TBR. You can't have all the concurrent books after that. So even after having cleared that out, my TBR has 547 books on it. Wow. I'm trying to get it below 400 because I feel like 547 books is a ridiculous number of books that I will never read. I'm pretty sure, ironically, so I, I, I said on the podcast where how I keep a notebook where I write all the books I've read since April 2007, and I'm pretty positive that I'm on five. The last <laughs> book I read was 547 because I just it was this book and I just wrote it in there yesterday. That's hilarious. <laughs> so that's how many books I read in om- almost 11 years. Yeah, so. and it's. I mean, it's also because like you were saying where you go on like. I want this book. I want this book at the library. I do that on Goodreads where I'll go and I'll just like 
get down this rabbit hole of the internet on Goodreads where all of a sudden there'll be a day when I added 50 books to my TBR. Why? Why do I do that? that, Because then I feel like people would be like, just stop doing it. But I like doing it. It's fun. (laughs) It's fun to do it. Um, I get my recommendations. I feel like I I do look on Goodreads. I like looking at the lists. Mm-hmm. I'm, a few years ago, I made an effort to read their, their like top 100 best of all time list. And I've read like 80 of those. Um, and one of which was Crime and Punishment, which now I can check Yay! off, which I didn't read before. Um, and then I a lot of like Pinterest lists. Like oh, that. and what should I read next? I put yeah. a lot of her books on my. Yeah, from the modern Mrs. Darcy. I do look at her like summer reading guide mm-hmm. um, and her. She has like for 2018, she has like. Read a book in each one of these categories. Yeah. Here's some ideas for the categories. Because um, they're well vetted. Like her yes. books are well I've always liked every book that I've read. And then I do listen to her podcast, What Should Read Next. And then I, I, not all the time, but sometimes like we'll write those books down too. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I have a few friends that do like recommend things to me. Um, I you, mean, if Nicole recommends me a book, I'm always going to try it. Yeah, you another and then basically you and like one other friend mm-hmm. who will like recommend to me. Um yeah, and so it's a lot of just like, oh, I'm like kind of taking a break at work and I'm going to look up some books and put them on the library right now. Like that's my like pastime and on my like slow work days. I know. There's people who like wander the internet and spend like hours on BuzzFeed and things. Literally, Goodreads is the place where my time goes to die. <laughs> I don't even write reviews on things. Like I give them star ratings. I once had this idea that I was going to review every book I read with at least two paragraphs because then at least I'd be contributing to the community. Psh- that doesn't seem like a realistic goal. That ship sailed. <laughs> I do like reading most of those reviews when people write them. See, but I and I was like, one. I could write a good one. Yeah, I would never write one. I should really write them about the Thousand One Books podcast ones and tag our podcast in it. But yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, we should do that. We could share the load and work on that. That's a good idea. That would be a really good thing to do because I mark all those as read. Um, okay. Any any other thoughts about to be read lists? Oh, what was the other question? The third question was, how long do you? No, or I think it was like, do you really read the books that are on there? Do yeah. You do books? you read all the ones off of yours? Well, I feel like I don't really have one, and and I've just started using this for later shelf. Yeah. Thing, and I haven't thus far. I have not really added any of those to actually get because I am already like. I Swamped. literally have five books that I need to go pick up from the library tomorrow, and I have four out. Plus the books we're reading for the podcast that I, we buy. Isn't there just something so great about going to the library and leaving with an armful of books, even if you know you're not going to read them all? Yeah, it's very satisfying, and like if they're all really different from each other, I feel really good. And re- so I recently, like, I got a new bookshelf, so now I have, like, two bookshelves in my bedroom that match each other. Uh-huh. I had fun, like, design- designing and putting the books by color and stuff. And then I was at my parents' house this weekend, and I was looking at their books, and there were some books that were mine or I bought for my parent mom as a gift or I recommended to her and I took them back because I wanted to have more books on my bookshelf <laughs> and I was just like oh I, I kind of want to reread these but also I just want to have them <laughs> I um have been this is we're just going on a tangent but I'm sure you're enjoying coming with us so it's fine I um watch um the messy minimalist on YouTube oh. and she's like uh a woman who is trying to like minimalize her life and like not have as much clutter and stuff. And it's really funny because the one thing where she's kept a lot of clutter is that they have a whole room of books. And mm. I'm not really big on like clutter either. Like most people think my house is really clean, but it's just because I don't do clutter on top of things. Um, I'm looking around my house right now and it's messy, but that normally. Uh, and so. 
I just love I was like, that's totally me. Like I could have nothing anywhere else, but I would have four bookshelves. Damn it. Like, yeah, it, just it is, makes you feel good. It makes you feel good. It's heartwarming. That whole KonMari strategy of like, does it bring you joy? Every single one of those damn books brings me joy. That's a very strong <laughs> point. Yes. That's your, that system would not work. I'd be like, I can get rid of all these clothes and stuff, but nope. This is important to me. And it does bring me a lot of joy. It's like it's like when I pay for an expensive haircut, I just try to really enjoy it yeah. to make it worthwhile. And that's how I feel about my books. I only have yoga pants and fuzzy sweatshirts, but I'd have four bookshelves of books. <laughs> yeah, doing the podcast, because we've been buying books for this, I feel like I've been buying other books, which I usually me never too. do. But it's just like the switch has been turned. I'm just like, more, more. And I, now I got an extra bookshelf. So they're both... They're not packed yet. There's picture frames on there and stuff like things that can be removed when more books come. And uh, so I feel like it's a free for all until the bookshelves are full. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a problem. I I have bought like five books that have not been for this podcast in the last month. And I'm like, Um, today on my way over here, (laughs) I was off earlier than I said we would meet. And so I went to Barnes and Noble and just to wander and because it's pleasant. And I bought a really pretty copy of Pride and Prejudice with like a leather outline that was like, it's not as like not cloth covered, but it's made to look like that, you know, and it's so pretty. And then I was like, well, this book is on the list. So eventually I'm going to have to buy this anyway, because I don't have it. And I and so (laughs) it was only $10. Crazy. Oh, I can't wait to put, I love Pride and Prejudice. I know. That's one I'll be happy to reread. I know. Well, hey, let's draw, draw our next book. Maybe it'll be Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Out of a thousand, not a thousand anymore, 987, 88 yep, 88. books that are left in there. One of them is Pride, <laughs> Pride and Prejudice. And, and one's Sense Sensibility and one's Persuasion. And I think she has five books on the list. So you never know. Yeah. Dun, da, da, da. Okay, our next book is, oh, it's one I've heard of, The Age of Innocence. Same time frame as Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. Not Edith Pride War- and Prejudice. <laughs> Edith Wharton, um, which she's an author that when when I was in college and I took like one English class for requirement, you know, I asked the professor like to give me book recommendations because the books we read in that class were not good. And she, the author she suggested was Edith Wharton, but I never read anything by her. So. You took that suggestion real serious. Well, because then I asked her at the beginning of the semester, but then I didn't like any of the books she'd picked out for the class. So oh. I was like, well, I'm going to let it go. But that was a long time. That was 10 well, years ago. Well, I so. don't know anything about Edith Wharton or Age of Innocence other than it's roughly in that time period. I think it's a little bit later. I think it's more oh, really? like the Gild, like because Jane Austen, that's like the early 1800s. And I think this is more like the Gilded Age, late, so 18, late 1800s? 1870s to 1890s. So end of the Victorian era. And, I th- and she's into- an American. I'm pretty sure. Right. Oh, and so I, I think I think it's about I think her books are about like society in the same way but like upper echelon new york society in the gilded era that'll be interesting if that's right yeah so well i'm excited and i hope you're excited to join us uh for this next book and until then we hope that you have a really great time reading and get some new and exciting books yeah and you can check us out on at 1001 books pod on instagram Facebook and Twitter or email us at 1001books at gmail.com. See you next time. Happy Happy reading. reading!